Well, you have probably heard of the Christian recording artist Chris Tomlin, right? And if you haven't, or if you don't think you have, you have. He is really well known. Uh, he is, if you've been here more than a week, you've probably sang a song with us that he has written. There's songs like Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, Joy to the World, Unspeakable Joy. We sang that at Christmas along with He Shall Reign Forevermore. You listen to 99Joy FM, any at all, you're probably hearing some other songs he wrote like uh, Good, Good Father, How Great Is Our God, Let God Arise, Whom Shall I Fear. In fact, uh, Chris was, has sold like something like 7 million albums and uh, Spotify, no, I'm sorry, it was uh, Pandora recently recognized him as the top streaming Christian artist, something like 1.8 billion streams. So a lot of people are listening to his music. It's fair to say that God has used Chris Tomlin to bring great worship music and just Christian music in general to the world and to our lives. And so all of that just sets the context. You might understand what Chris was thinking when he got to his church one Sunday morning and he saw that the pastor was going to be preaching on praising and worshiping God. And he went, eh, what's the pastor going to say that I don't already know after 20 years of writing praise music and studying the Bible and praising God? As it turned out, he, there was a lot that he was missing. By the end of that message, he had been taking notes furiously, and that single message in his church spurred him on to write a whole new album. You may have heard of it. It's called Holy Roar. It launched a book that he co-wrote with his pastor, all based on this subject, a podcast, a whole tour. And he realized, I have been missing so much about what the Bible says about praising God. And so all this came out of it. And the, the sermon that he came in, he thought wasn't going to be that great and was just amazing and launched all his creativity was just on that. How does the Bible, particularly the Psalms, talk about how people who believe in God and love God, how should they praise him? How should they worship him? And the pastor, Darren Whitehead, just went through all the different ways that Psalms talks about praising God. And I read the book, Holy Roar, that came out of that. I really appreciated a lot of things I read there. It really challenged me. I realized, hey, there's a lot of things I don't know. And uh, what I really particularly appreciated about it were some of the stories that Pastor Darren Whitehead and Chris Tomlin told about the outflow of praise in their life and the way that, that they'd experienced it and just really inspiring. I, I like some of the studies that they did just in all full disclosure. I didn't always agree with everything they did with some of the Bible words, but that's, you know, insider baseball maybe. At the end, it was just a great book that inspired me. And you know, if you want to read it, you maybe will find some things in there to be helpful too. Here's what I just took away from it. Chris Tomlin said, I thought if I didn't know this stuff, and this is what I spend my life doing, I thought maybe other people don't know this as well. And I wanted to let the light bulb come on for them like it did for me. And again, as I said, for me, reading the book, it really drove me back to the Bible, to the Psalms, to the other verses to say, what does it tell us about how we should praise and worship God? I would invite you over this week and the next couple of weeks as we talk about worship to just be open. That maybe there's more to what God is looking for from us as human beings than, than we've been giving him. And what I'd like us to do is simply what we always do. We want to go back to the Bible because this is what we teach and what we preach. We follow Jesus and we see what it says here about what Jesus tells us to do and we want to obey that. If you've got a Bible, I would invite you to turn to Psalms today. This is one of the easiest things that you can do. If you want to look like you are a genius Bible scholar, just go to the middle of the Bible and you're probably in Psalms. Now, a little word to the wise, it starts with a P. The P is silent. The only other easier things to find are Genesis because it's page one or Revelation because it's the last page. So uh, if you've got a Bible app, you can also find it. We're going to be in three different Psalms today. 
We're going to be in Psalm 150, 145, and 98. You can go ahead and dial those in if you want. If you want to just take the worship folder and take notes, that's great too. The verses will be up on the screen. Let's go ahead and, as you're doing this, I want us to talk about and think about the priority that that the Bible says praise should occupy in our lives, the priority of that. And so uh, we're going to read just a few verses out of Psalm 150. It starts this way. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. And then in case we missed the point, you go down to verse 6. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. There is a beautiful structure and symmetry here. If you just are into that kind of thing, if you're into poetry, it begins like it ends. It's just, it's even and it's, it's awesome. Uh, I don't get into poetry, but I can even recognize that this is pretty cool. So it's just saying, basically, we have an obligation. If you're breathing, you should be praising the Lord. You go back to Psalm 145. This is a little note. We often think of, if you're like a little bit more knowledgeable about the Bible, you may think that King David wrote all the Psalms, and he didn't. But he wrote a lot of them. Psalm 145 is the last one in the Bible that he wrote. And uh, we're just going to read the first few verses. David wrote, and we can say this as well, I will exalt you, my God and King, and I will praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I'll praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He's most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. And he goes on, he talks more about, I'm going to meditate on what you've done, I'm going to talk about it. So, you guys are really smart, but you don't even have to be smart to get the point here. Like, it is saying, you need to be praising the Lord. This is important. This is something that God expects us to do. And so, it's not that we doubt what it's saying, but it's maybe a little bit more of, well, how do I do that? What is it to praise? This is my really simple definition of praise. Enthusiastic applause. You ever been in a context where something was just so amazing, so awe-inspiring, so just wow, that you just, you were applauding before you even, you were like hands in the air, yelling, screaming, uh, you're just like, you, you just feel like, I need to compliment that person or that team or that artist or that musician because this is just amazing. I'm getting goosebumps. I've got to just, that's what praise is. It's just genuine, spontaneous, enthusiastic applause and appreciation. And this is what a lot of us have experienced. Uh, anything great happened in St. Louis sports world recently? LGB, right? Come on. You can give a little praise for that. That's, that's praise right there. Whatever you felt, if you're a Blues fan, at game, that game, that's praise. When it comes to God, the Bible says he deserves some of that too. He deserves some enthusiastic, genuine, spontaneous applause. And uh, you would go to, like, to Psalm 145, there's a couple of categories. He, he deserves our praise because of who he is and what he's done. Two different categories. Praise him for his mighty works, the things that he's created, the things that God has accomplished. And then you think about his unequaled greatness. That's just who God is. You reflect on what's God like? What's his personality like? What, is he trustworthy? Is he good? Is he kind? Is he a father? And you go, wow, that's praiseworthy. And in fact, the psalmist assumes that if you spend any time at all thinking about God, you're just going to find yourself going, wow, he is great. He is awesome. You're going to just naturally be led to praise. And if you want to write this down, praise is always the appropriate response response to who God is and what God has done. It's truth right there. When you spend a little time thinking about that, now it does bring up a question, and I'm going to go ahead and ask, ask it for us. I'm going to ask it kind of rudely and bluntly, and I have a reason for that, but don't be offended. But somebody might say, okay, what's up with God expecting everybody to praise him all the time? Like, isn't that a... And I get where you might be coming from. 
Because if a human being expected you to praise, sing their praises all the time and to worship the ground they walk on and always talk about them in good glowing terms, wouldn't you think like at the very least you are narcissistic and self-centered and at the other extreme, maybe you've got like a psychological disorder. It's all about you. Like, so why does God expect people to praise him all the time? And it's a good question. And the reason I'm asking it so bluntly as I am is because I want you to realize that it is not offensive to God for you to ask all the questions that you have. Maybe be a little bit politer than I am. But, but at the end of the day, if you got a question, you need to ask it. And this is a place where you can because you don't ever get good answers if you don't ask the questions that are on your mind. And I think it is a legitimate question. Why should we praise God? Why does he expect that? And uh, I, I think that there's a good answer to that. I want you to know that if I don't answer your question, it's okay to continue this conversation with me or with somebody you trust, your small group leader, whatever. I, I would invite you to think about it this way. If I asked you to praise me, and I'm like, I expect it, you would you look at me like, really, what? But then again, I didn't think up DNA and create that. I didn't create an entire universe from my imagination and just speak it into reality. I didn't measure out the galaxies with my hand and go, yeah, about here to here, and then we'll put another galaxy here. I didn't do that. I didn't think up dolphins or seals or otters or puppies, you know? The person who did think that up and make that, I can give a little applause to somebody like that, right? Can you? And think about this. Is it not something that you can create something? From nothing? In fact, even take it a step further. What does it mean that God created something that their whole purpose in life is just to praise him? You think about what angels are? Among other things, there are some angels who are simply created to praise God all the time. You say, well, is that, again, is that self I can't do that, but God can. And maybe what he's doing in doing that is not because he's got this huge ego that needs to be fed. Maybe he is so good that he puts the light on himself so that other people can recognize what true goodness is by seeing it. And, and birds, I often wonder this. I may be completely wrong. Birds love to sing, right? At five in the morning when you're trying to sleep. I kind of wonder if God just created it because he loves to hear their singing. And I wonder if on some level birds are praising God themselves. Not because they have to, but because they want to. They're doing what they're created to do. Here's another thought. I'm not going to go too far down this road, but you think about this. What does it say about God that he created a creature that should praise him, but has the choice of whether or not they do that? That's risky. You think having children is risky? Try creating us knowing what we're capable of. I mean, look at the world. What have we done with the world that's good? We've done a lot of bad things, haven't we? And yet God still willingly created us, hoping that we would do the right thing and look to him as our creator, first of all. You just go ahead and let your mind think about that for a while. It's not arrogant for God to want us to worship him. It's healthy for us. Here's something else I want you to think about. Jesus, God in human form. The week before Jesus died, he was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, a colt that had never been ridden before. And as he rode into Jerusalem, if you're familiar with this, this happened the week before what we call Easter now, people lined the road on either side and praised Jesus as if he was God. And this is Luke 1938. The people shouted, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Now think about this. Jesus not only did not stop them, 
from worshiping him as if he was God. Jesus actually rebuked people who told him he should tell them to stop praising him as if he was God. You go on down to verse 39 and verse 40 of Luke 19. Some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Jesus said, hey, if they kept quiet, stones along the road would burst into cheers. If people will not do the thing they were created to do, my rest of my creation will take up the song. Now, I want you to think about this too. If you're kind of evaluating where Jesus is and who he is, this is interesting because Jesus clearly thought that he should receive worship, was worthy of worship. Doesn't prove that he's God, but it sure proves that he thought he was God and that he was worthy of being praised. It's a whole different sermon. But I love that because if he's telling the truth that he is God, man, how worthy is he that if people don't say the praises, that creation and rocks themselves would do it. Because the appropriate natural response to who God is and what God has done is to praise him. It's spontaneous. And the best thing that we could do, if the Bible is true, is to humble ourselves before him and to give him the praise that he deserves. I like how in Psalm 145, if you were to go back there, David said, I want to tell my children about the great things God has done. I want my children's children, like generation to generation, we ought to be passing this along. And I love that picture that when we're gathered in worship, we're actually telling other people about our faith and passing it along to, like, I want my grandchildren's grandchildren to, to know about God. And I want them to see my faith was in him. I saw a news story. It made me think about this. This was a, a back in November. There's a bookstore in England that had been watching their rent go up and up and up. And they finally realized, we just can't afford the rent anymore. Fortunately for them, a bank down the street moved out of their building. The building came up for rent, and it was a much cheaper rent. So they said, well, this is great. We're gonna, they gave notice on their current location. But if you've ever moved and you have any amount of books at all, that is like the worst thing in the world to move books. Am I right? Some of you have helped me move my library from location to location. You know what I'm talking about. It is the worst thing. That's the only time I ever regret having a library is when it's time to move it. How do you move a whole bookstore? Well, they got the bright idea that why don't we make a fireman's chain from one location? It's like a tenth of a mile down the street. We'll just, we need 150 volunteers, and we think we can do this. So that's what they planned on doing, except the day that they were going to move the books, it was rainy and the weather was horrible, and they're like, nobody's going to show up. 200 people showed up. They stood shoulder to shoulder. They took the books out of the basement, down the stairs, down the street, past fast food restaurants and coffee shops, all the way to the bank, all the way into the vault of the bank where they were storing the books, and they passed each individual book person to person. And I think about that. That's what David is talking about when we worship God. We're passing it from person to person to person, to person. And you are so inspiring to other people when you are here because what you're saying when you're here is, I believe in that God on some level or I'm exploring it and I want other people to know that I believe in that God. This is a great way to share your faith. And, um, you know, I just love this idea that we don't want to just keep the story of what God's doing in our lives to ourselves. That I want my grandchildren's grandchildren to know about the good things that God has done in my life and that you want people around you. This is too good for it to just be a dead end in your life. There's people you work with or people that you go to school with until you, you're done. For, and there's people that you, you know, are related to or that you're, you know, live next to who need to, to see that God is worthy of their praise too. And you need to tell them about that. Don't be a dead end when it comes to the praise of God. Now, here's another thing that I've discovered and I've rediscovered just as I go back to the Bible and study this out. Not only does God expect it, like this is a priority, there's a rich variety of ways that we are to practice worship as well. Like if you were to go back to Psalm 150, and we'll do that. 
that part that I skipped in the center talks about literal ways that you can praise God. It, and it's, a lot of it's with musical instruments, like in verse 3, praise him with the blast of a ram's horn, praise him with the lyre and the harp, praise him with tambourine and dancing, praise him with strings and flutes, praise him with the clash of cymbals, uh, praise him with the loud clanging cymbals, and you know, I guess it could say whole drum kit. It doesn't, but it could. And then it goes on, let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. There's like a variety of ways here. Now I told you we're going to go back to Psalm 98. Uh, this is just another psalm that is just filled with specific ways that you can praise God. Let me just pull a few of these out of here. I'd, uh, just as you go through it, we're told to sing a new song. Uh, we're told to shout to the Lord, to break out in praise, sing for joy, sing with a harp and melodious song, trumpets, a ram's horn. It says make a joyful symphony. It even says that there are those who will clap, like the rivers will clap their hands in glee. The, the hills will sing out their songs of joy. So clapping, we've got all these things here. And uh, that's not even an exhaustive list. There's all kinds of ways we praise God. The reading of the scripture. When we lift up our voices in prayer, we lift our hands before God. Um, I love the thing here in Psalm 98. One, sing a new song to the Lord. God bless people like Chris Tomlin who write new songs. Also, God bless people like Jeff Hosey. Uh, he's written a new song for us here at Connection. And I think in the next week or so, he and the worship team are going to bring that to us. So we get to honor the scripture if you're here, and please be here, and we'll sing a new song to God. And this is such a cool thing. So there's just more than one way to praise God. A question again, I'll just bring up all the questions you might be thinking. Is one way of praising God more preferable to him than others? I mean, we've all got our preferences, right? When I read that list, you know there's some things you liked on that list more than others. Does God have a preference? Um, is there one way that maybe is more effective at praising God than another? I heard about a group of pastors. They were all gathered at one of the guy's churches in his office. They were talking, and um, there was a, in the meantime, there was a guy working on the phone system in the other room, but he could hear the pastors talking. And they got on the subject of worship and prayer and what do you think the most effective way is? And one of the pastors said, here's what I found. When I pray and when I worship God, I like to have my hands like this. I like to tell everybody, and I like to have my hands pointed toward God. I just feel like that's when I'm closer to God, and he hears me more. And the other, one of the other pastors like, that's good, but what really takes it up a level is when you get down on your knees. That's when you're really in touch with God. And then another minister's like, you guys are you guys are rookies. Let me tell you, the major league, it's when you lay down flat on your face before God. That's when he really hears you. The, the phone guy finally just couldn't take it anymore. I tell you guys, I know when God listened to me, I prayed such a powerful prayer when I was 40 feet up on a telephone pole, hanging upside down, praying for God to help me. That's an effective time to worship God. I don't know that God has a preference. I have a suspicion that what God says is just use whatever you got Use whatever you like. Use the music that people around you appreciate, that you appreciate, and use that and just give it to me, as, and, and, and I'm good with that. And I'm not sure that he wants us to be arguing about it as much as just trying to, to do it with the right heart, whatever it sounds like. Give your enthusiastic applause to God in the way that means the most to you. I do see, as I study all this out, in a more general way, there is a physicality to worship, and it's not just... I mean, there's a place for prim and proper and decent and in order, and everything really should be orderly and not chaotic, but man, there's just, there's reading and, and shouting and singing and clapping your hands and bowing and yes, being on your knees, maybe laying before the Lord, um, just all these different things. 
And things that we, maybe in other areas of our lives and outside of Sunday morning, we express some of our enthusiasm through. In fact, there's a, over in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul was writing to a young pastor that he was mentoring, uh, one of his protégés named Timothy, and you can find it in your Bible. It's in 1 Timothy. Paul said, Timothy, in your church, here's what I want to see happening. You make sure that those guys, those men, this is 1 Timothy 2.8, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. It doesn't mean that women can't raise their hands before God, but Paul is saying, come on, guys. You guys maybe sometimes tend to hang back. You need to step forward when it comes to worshiping God. You set the way. And guys, I, I can't speak for women because I'm not one, but guys, do we not sometimes wrestle with anger? Let's get that out of the way. Let's let God help us deal with that so that we can praise him appropriately. I am not trying to ask you to do something that would be inauthentic for you. I am not. I'm just challenging us to grow in this area of giving heartfelt praise to God where you mean it, where you've spent a little time thinking about what God is like and what he's done so that your heart is there and ready to worship him. I'm not an overly uh, expressive guy all the time. Uh, I'm more laid back and, and conservative and introverted. But there's an aspect to me that you guys don't get to see. Um, when I'm playing sports, I can be really competitive. And I tried, I've actually tried to dial that down a lot because I don't want to be a jerk. But there's a side to me when I'm at a ball game or somewhere else where something's on the line, I really can put myself out there. And I think God deserves that same energy from me. I don't know how it is for you. Maybe you're like, I'm the person who's too, I, like, I need to dial myself down before I come to worship. And that's okay. Let's just everyone doing whatever it is that's in your heart, but make sure there's something in your heart and you're not just going through the motions when you come in here, checking a box on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. You know, because I think when I think of myself and I think of what God has done for me, I have no problem being so thankful. I realized where I was and I sometimes imagine where I would be without God in my life. I don't even want to think about that and just how good God has been to me. And I would say this maybe to you, you know what, what this is? I, I think I shared it pretty faithfully, what the scripture says. What are you going to do with this? And maybe you would say, I just kind of find it difficult to praise God. I just, maybe you didn't know, or maybe you just, it's not your personality type to feel it. I would suggest that maybe something that would be very helpful to you is to start engaging with this more so that you know what God is like. Because if you really don't know what he's like, then you're just kind of shooting in the dark. But the more we study this and the more we pray, the more we do realize what he is like and how good he is. And we start thinking about not only what God has done for other people, but what he's doing for you. And then you also learn in here what he's promised to do for you. Come on, this is great. When you think about that, it's got to move you just a little bit. Like this lady I heard about, this is back in 2017, Lakeisha Ball from Baltimore, Maryland. She was diagnosed with cancer. It was breast cancer. And uh, she began then from that point on a, a year-and-a-half-long journey, which some of you know what that's like for yourself or somebody you care about. There's the chemo, the radiation, the doctor's visits, you got the new diet you got to manage, you got all the side effects. So she went through all of that, and she got to the end of it, and she came to her final appointment, and the doctor said, I've got great news for you. You are cancer-free. And some of you know what that feels like for yourself or somebody you care about. So what she got to do is she got to ring the hope bell at the a Maryland Proton Treatment Center, and man, did she ring it. Uh, as on Good, Good Morning America, they have a video clip of her ringing the bell. Watch this. Yeah. 
I love that. She, uh, it was her daughter filming that, and her daughter was on Good Morning America also. She said, when my mom rang that bell, I felt a different type of happy. I couldn't stop smiling and crying. I'm so happy that my mom's able to share her story so that everyone else who's fighting cancer can understand to always have faith and never feel like you're alone when you have God. And this is just cancer, which is a huge thing, but you think about all the other things that God has done in her life and your life, and just ring the bell of God's goodness. I'm sure if you were to think just a little bit, you've got at least one story that you can tell of the goodness of God in your life. Let me help you in case you don't. Has God done some good things for you? Did the sun come up this morning, even though we didn't see it? (laughs) Was there air to breathe just a moment ago? Are bacon, chocolate, and coffee still real things? Did Jesus die for you? Does Jesus live for you? Are all your sins forgiven? Have you been granted eternal life? If God is for you, can anyone be against you? Does the Holy Spirit pray for you when you don't even have words to pray for yourself? Is there anything that will ever separate you from God's love? We have so much to be thankful for and grateful for and so much to worship God for. I guarantee you, if you'll just think for a moment, God will help bring something to your mind that you can give him praise for. This isn't just a sermon where you just go, hey, that was pretty good, and I tuck this away. I want you to do something with this. In just a moment, our worship team's going to be back up here. We're going to sing another song. Why don't you see what you can do praising God through this next song?